We're going to talk right now about one of the most controversial passages of the entire Bible. Um, people are in a lot of trouble over this passage in particular. And even nowadays, uh, even recently, a pastor going to court um, because he taught from this passage up in Canada. Obama called this the obscure passage in the book of Romans. And, that, and he said, and I quote, that it's not central to his faith. Um, and pro-gay ministries reinterpret this passage in a wild variety of ways. And even though this passage is going to deal with homosexuality, it's not primarily about homosexuality, but since we're at sort of a watershed issue in our culture right now, and how you stand on this one issue reveals how you're going to handle a lot of stuff in life. We're going we're gonna to patiently look through specifically what does Romans 1 teach us about homosexuality. This is a clear teaching of the Bible that goes completely against modern cultural norms. Modern cultural norms. Um, and in this case, modern cultural norms are very misguided, harmful to people, and they need to change. And uh, I'm going to say, do something, something very bold in our culture today. And I'm going to say, the Bible's right, people are wrong. Um, but let's, let's look into it and let's try to look for clarity and understanding of what does Romans 1 teach on this topic. So first, um, just to back up slightly, Romans 1 verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now this is like a review because this verse is sort of a, a capsule statement, a summary statement of what everything at the, the rest of the chapter of Romans 1 deals with, 18 all the way through the end of the chapter and on into chapter 2 and 3. It's an indictment against humanity. And mankind in general is being told God's wrath is revealed uh, against two issues, ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those are specific things. Godlessness and righteousness, if you want to put it that way. That people don't have God in their minds and hearts and lives, and then they don't have righteousness in their minds and hearts and lives. And so last week we dealt with verses 18 through 23, and that dealt with the ungodliness part. So the two sides of the same coin here. The rejection of God. We dealt with that last week. That mankind knows there's a God. That mankind rejects this knowledge and replaces God with idols, with false religions, with self, uh, you know, gods made in the image of self. Like, I imagine God, and I pretty much describe me with a beard, a big white beard and a giant cloud that I sit on, and then that's my version of God, is, is, is however I would be if I was God, which is a very narcissistic type of thing that a large number of people do. Um, however, God is not like us in that sense. So they reject this knowledge, they replace God with fake versions of God, and then God is, his wrath is revealed because of it. Like mankind knows, God's not okay with this. His wrath is revealed. This is, the, this is the bad news before the good news of the gospel. That's what Romans is giving us. The bad news before the good news. But before we move on, I just want to point something out. Or maybe I'll ask a rhetorical question. Does God's wrath make God look bad or us look bad? That's the question. Does God's wrath make us look bad or him? Because there are those who would say God is wrathful at his creation and then they would shake their fist at the creator and be as though they're mad at God for how dare he be mad at me. This seems to be the height of folly. To shake your fist at your maker? This does not seem wise. Anybody who's been a parent has seen their baby be angry at them. And you laughed. 
<laughs> You're bad at me. You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. This is just this is just folly. I think it's going to be one or the other. We're either going to be ashamed of ourselves or ashamed of the wrath of God. And I trust the word of God and I'm not ashamed of the gospel, including the part about the wrath of God. And that's something that's true that we need to embrace. Um, so verse 24, let's pick up where we, where we uh, dropped off last time. And it says here, speaking not about ungodliness, but about unrighteousness. And it says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. And we're going to read right through verse 32 to get the whole passage. In the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a mouthful. It is an indictment against humanity's unrighteousness, whereas previously last week it was humanity's ungodliness that was attacked. Um, now let's go over it in detail, starting at verse 24, and let's unpack it and understand it. It says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. This is the therefore. It, the therefore, you, you guys have heard the phrase, when you see a therefore, it's, it's right to ask what it's there for. And that's good. That, that's a good general rule to try to say, well, how is this connecting? How is this verse connected to the ones before it? This verse, this idea of God giving them to, up to uncleanness is because they didn't keep a right relationship with God. You see, if I reject God, something happens to me. I, I don't stay the same. I'm given up to uncleanness. Um, I change as a person in a spiritually bad way by rejecting and rebelling against God. And I think we all know people who we've seen go through this. How it's like, man, you didn't used to be like that. But sin takes its toll. And, it give, and God gives them up. He gave them up to uncleanness. That word uncleanness, it just means immorality. It's just immorality or not being moral. Doing things that are not morally good. It's a very generic, generic term. To this, somebody might say, so everybody sins. And to which we say, yes, everybody sins. But this could mean one of two very different things to people. Everybody sins, so therefore it's okay. Or everybody sins, so therefore everyone's in trouble. Which one do you think it is? Well, do you measure man by God or do you measure God by man? Well, God doesn't get us up there and uh, let us do the measuring. <laughs> so so that we, it's the other way around. Um, so one of the focuses of this passage is to highlight the sinfulness of sin. To point out that this uncleanness, this sinfulness is actually a big deal. It really matters that man is sinful, that man is unclean. It's not just a, a general, yeah, we all fail, everyone makes mistakes. In fact, to call sin a mistake 
is itself a mistake. Sin is a lot bigger than a mistake. You know, if, if a man cheats on his bride and then they get a divorce and then years later he's telling his kids about how him and his wife broke up and he says to them, well, you know, we both made some mistakes. That's a nice way to make your life look better than it is. But in reality, something a lot bigger than a mistake happened. You know, a mistake is, you know, I, I lock myself out of the house. Cheating on your wife? It's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> and for us to realize that sin is actually sinful, it's actually bad. So it says he gave them up in verse 24. Um, that, that word gave them up, it means to be turned over or to be handed over to something. John 8.34, Jesus puts it this way. He says, he who commits sin is a slave of sin, that they end up being given over to the sins. And that's what's happened to mankind, that there's consequences. I can't just sin and everything's okay, but I sin and it does something to me. It, it messes up my brain and it brings me into physical life bondage to that sin. I, I, I can't help but think of Pinocchio, um, which I think is a fantastic uh, movie in the sense of its allegories. Pinocchio has this scene, I haven't seen it in years, so forgive me if I recollect it incorrectly. But there's a scene where him and his buddies decide to ditch school, right? And they head out to, what's it called, Pleasure Island? And they go on to Pleasure Island and there they are smoking cigars and drinking beer. It's, this, is, this is not a modern cartoon, right? This is old school, right? So this is an older cartoon. And they're smoking cigars and drinking beer and they're ditching school and they're just being wild and crazy and they're, and they're being bad kids. They're being bad kids. And what happens his buddy's laughing. He's like, ha, 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 and he starts turning into a donkey. And then what we find is that this guy who led them all to Pleasure Island, he was just trying to get them to turn into donkeys so that he could use them because he has beasts of burden. He actually runs his, his, uh, his gear with donkeys. So he's, he's going to make them in, into his slaves, his beasts of burden. And I think this is such a beautiful picture of what sin does. Oh, it promises me freedom. It promises me the pleasures. But it brings me into bondage. To those very things. I thought, I was, I thought I'd be free. Well, the way to be free is to keep yourself free from sin. The way to be a slave is to commit sin. So they're given up to uncleanness. Now, we've all experienced this in our own lives. We've all felt the grips of sin. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're just not aware. <laughs> I know what this is. When you're like, man, this thing's got a hold of my heart. This thing's got a hold of my mind. Lord, I need your help. So God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Now, that's an important phrase. It's easy to skip past the things that are written here, but it's really important. The lusts, that word lust just means desires. It can mean sexual desires, but in general, it just means desires. That's what the word is. Desires of their hearts. The uncleanness, it comes from within. It's depravity from inside. Why am I tempted? God, why am I tempted? Because of my heart. Because of what's going on inside of my heart. The source of my temptations is me. My enemy is in me. That's the problem. James chapter 1 puts it this way. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Now that might sound crazy, but I've actually heard people say that. Oh, God tempted me just so that he could show me what it's like for other people. I'm like, no. <laughs> you were just, that's your heart. That's where that came from. Um, so let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Drawn away by my own desires. Then when sin, uh, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. If I put in front of you guys 
a plate of steaming, warm, fresh cow poop, you wouldn't really be interested in this. Because there's nothing in your heart that desires that, I hope. But if I put some nice, hot, fresh carne asada on a plate, we'd all be grabbing at it. Most likely. <laughs> Most of us, anyway. Because, man, that stuff is yummy. Why? Because there's something in me that wants that. So what is it that's in me that wants sin? What is it that's in me that wants to lie, cheat, steal, hurt, take, you know, do these things? Wicked thoughts and desires, they come from inside me. The point here is, we're not victims. Mankind as, as a whole, we, we, we reject God, and then we are given over to our sins, and then the sin that comes from within us is expressed in our lives. So we can't sweep it under the carpet like I did it because that was in me to do. And that's, so it's shameful. In other words, we're not victims. We're not victims. Wrath is not for victims. But yet we're, we're in sort of a culture that wants to say, well, you know, that guy's just abusive because he was abused. Well, then why, why were his parents abusive? Well, because they were neglected. Well, why were they neglected? Well, because they were abused. And then they were, and then them, and then and it's always somebody else's fault. There's no personal accountability. But God says, no, I know all the details. I know all the ins and outs. I know all the reasons and all that. But I also know about the sin that was in your heart and the choices you made to do what you did. So that wrath is revealed. And so he's given them up in the, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's the statement. Now, that's really interesting. You could dishonor your body. There's a biblical background for this verse that, is, that, that we would say is human bodies have honor naturally. Because you can't dishonor something that has no honor. I can't dishonor the cow poop, right? That cannot be dishonored. There's nothing really honorable about that stuff anyways. It's useful for certain things, but it's not honorable. Whereas humans, we are honorable. There's something honorable. And the Bible puts it this way, is that you were made in God's image. You carry that imago Dei, that image of God. You were made to have dominion, to know and worship God, to um, know and bless each other, and to be morally good. And so that when I sin, I'm sort of marring and coming against the honor that God has given me. There's something dignified about humanity. Innately dignified, although we are not innately morally wonderfully good, I wish. But we are innately valuable and dignified and honored in the creation, the very nature of who we are. So when I sin, it dishonors my body. It dishonors my body. So that means that sin isn't just something I do. Sin is something that I'm doing to me. As well as something I do against the Lord. I, I do it to myself. And I remember, just to be really honest with you guys, um, my sister uh, had a friend growing up who, uh, when she was, I don't know, she was like 19, 20 years old. They, I'd known her for years and stuff. She became a stripper. She started getting, she was an exotic dancer. Except it's not about dancing in exotic ways. It's just, she was, it was a stripper. And what was crazy was after a year or two of her doing that sort of thing, it was like her soul changed. I mean, she didn't become like demonic or something. It was just sad. It was just, I could see the dishonoring. And I saw her a little while later and I thought, man, it's like you're a different person. It's like you're tainted. And I was sad because I cared for her. You know, and it was just, it was just a bummer. And that sin does something to us. It does something to us. Now, the good news is that the Lord can undo this, but this is why he says you have to be born again. 
because of because of these issues that are going on in us. I need to be born again. I don't just need to try to do better. I need a new life. Verse 25, it says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. This is this repeated idea of God giving people up, giving them over, turning them over, handing them over to sin, to a a degraded mind, and to degraded morals and moral living, immoral living. It's this exchange thing. So it's like, I didn't want God, so I exchanged him for, for, for my own version so I could please myself. And then guess what I get? I get a debased mind. I get a debased life in return. That's what these vile passions are in verse 26. It says, God gave them up to vile passions. Well, what is that? That's a word that specifically is talking about dishonorable sexual desires. That one of the areas of the human life that get messed up because of sin in particular is the area that relates to what should, what should be godly marriage, which should be a holy man-woman unity. That gets messed up and mucked up because of sin. We seem to be especially good at messing that up. <laughs> so then an example follows in verse 26. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Now as we read on, we're going to see this could be nothing other than lesbianism specifically talked about here in this verse. Um, it's It seems generic, right? Just exchanging the natural use for what's against nature. But if you look at the next verse, it's going to make it clear there's a, the women did this and the men did this, but he'll get more into detail when it talks to the men. So let's let's look at that in verse 27. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So likewise, in other words, what is said about the men here tells us what is meant about the women in verse 26, because it's in the same way, likewise, men with men doing these things. What did the men leave? Well, they left the natural use of the woman. And then they then they replaced that. This is, again, the exchange. We're trading God's plan for our desires. They burned in that way for each other. Well, what is the, biblically, What the question we ask is, what is the natural use of the woman? Well, biblically, the natural use of the woman is not like anything inappropriate. We're talking about marriage. That's the natural use of the woman. This is the right design of man, woman. One man, one woman, one wedding. Then they die. That's the plan. <laughs> That's how it goes. Genesis 2.24, here's the natural use of the woman. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the natural use. It's li- We're literally designed for this. One of the startling things, if you, if you were like an alien from some other world and you came to earth and you realized that, wow, all these humans are... There, there's different genders, there, there's different sexes, there's man and there's woman, and everything about them is designed for each other. Like, think about this. This is really neat. We're designed for a, a complementary relationship between male and female in so many, many ways. Life literally does not go on without this. <laughs> You're all a result of this type of thing. You know, you wouldn't exist if it wasn't for man and woman. This is, this is, there's a physical design behind man and woman. That's the point. That's the background of verse 27. There's a physical design behind man and woman where we're different and we're complementary 
for each other. There's, I remember seeing a, um, a propaganda type video. I think it was Buzzfeed. They have a lot of, they used to just do funny videos. Now they're all about just kind of promoting their own sort of worldview and political agendas. But, um, but what they did was they had a video where they showed like this little kid, this little girl, she must've been like five years old. And she looks at the camera and she's like, oh, boys and girls are the same. And I'm like, well, if, if you were a five-year-old girl, you might think that. <laughs> but you might think that. You might. Most of them probably don't even think that much. But yeah, we're really not the same. We're really not the same. If we were the same, we wouldn't even be having the words boys and girls behind it in the sentence. <laughs> we just say people and people are the same. No, there's some big differences. This is our nature. It's not chauvinistic. It's not patriarchal culture. Men and women are extremely radically different. And it's beautiful that way. And anybody who tries to build, a, uh, whether it's a politic or a worldview, where they try to deny the, in, the innate differences between men and women is just preaching folly. Like, why deny the truth? Instead, let's maximize this wonderful thing, the differences between us. Well, some people leave this. They don't care about these things. They don't, they don't want to touch it because it's too controversial. Um... I can't believe this is controversial. Boys and girls are different. That's controversial? Really? Boys and girls are different whether you like it or not. That's never going to change. Ever. It's just reality. It's, it's part of our design. And so we as, as Christians, um, we need to be pro-family. And we need to be unashamed to talk about these issues graciously, but honestly. Come on. It, it's just got to be real. We just have to be honest and open and real about it all. So gender is to be celebrated and respected. It's part of the honor that God has placed upon men and women. Now, men and women, according to scripture, are both made in God's image. It says, God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he made them. So he, he made man, mankind in his image. So there's, there's this great honor bestowed on both of us and to devalue the male role or devalue the female role in any way is ultimately to dishonor that. So what happens though is this, uh, this judgment of God falls upon man. And as a result, in verse 27 and 26, we see that they leave, they leave the natural use of the woman, this natural thing of marriage and family and godliness. And they leave that and they burn in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. There's no way around it. This is an unequivocal condemnation of every type of homosexual behavior. There's no way around it. Romans 1 is absolutely clear. Men with men, the, the lust is shameful and the acts are shameful. That's what scripture tells us. It's not to be celebrated, it's to be repented of. It's a sin. What's shocking is that I have to teach this. This is like me having to teach that stealing is a sin. Or, as I do today, that I have to teach that pride is a sin. I have to make a special case to teach our kids in youth ministry that pride is something that's bad because our culture celebrates it like it's a glorious thing. So it's not to be celebrated, it's to be repented of. Men with men committing what is shameful, lusting for each other, this is all a bad thing. And it brings a penalty, the scripture says. They receive in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Now, the penalty is not specific. It could fit, this could fit just about anything, right? It could be emotionally problems. Well, and we see in the homosexual community, massive emotional problems. And this is, this is not because they're not being approved of enough. 
This is because they're living a rebellious lifestyle against God, and it leads to all sorts of other problems. There's relational problems, the issues of domestic violence. I'm a, do I'm a domestic violence counselor. The issues of domestic violence are way higher in the homosexual community. Um, the, uh, the interrelational violence that goes on there, for some reason, it's way higher. Physical issues like HIV and AIDS, cancer, syphilis, you name it. Um, even pro-gay groups will readily admit this. You go to a pro-gay website and it'll have warnings on there about people to get regular checks for certain things and to be super cautious because it's a dangerous lifestyle physically. It's a physically dangerous lifestyle. So all those things are true. I, I think that we can say it's clearly against nature. This is against nature. And, and I don't want to get into details because I think that's vulgar, but let me just, the, maybe the somewhat vulgar, <laughs> the, I try to be as vulgar as needed, but the plumbing of a human body is such that you don't do this. And it causes physical problems. There's a way in which man and woman are designed to come together, and that's what it should be. And when people mess with that, it causes all sorts of problems. So it brings a penalty, but it also brings another penalty. And this is actually, I think, um, part of the emphasis of Romans 1. This, this penalty is that there's a bondage to sin and a blindness to God that comes when I embrace sin, especially when I make it my lifestyle. Whereas I'm going to go to the Bible and I'll be like, Bible, I'll listen to whatever you say as long as you approve of this lifestyle I've chosen. There's just like this sort of spiritual blindness that, that comes upon a person. And the only result is then you have to sort of be hateful towards people who would dare to point out the blindness. It's very, it's really sad. So we could, we could stand on some facts. Like even if I didn't have the, the scripture, it's, um, you know, homosexual behavior is against human nature. We know this. This is, this is just biology 101. It's, it's definitely against nature. It's harmful. It's harmful in measurable ways through the psychosis, you know, the psychological issues, through the physical problems, and um, and through uh, just measurable things like parenting issues and things like that. Um, that I actually have the four-part series on YouTube where I go to all this into detail. And then it's a sign also of societal rejection of God. And as we are standing in a really kind of an important time in our culture where homosexuality is being preached and proclaimed like it's a glorious and, and liberating lifestyle, it's Pleasure Island, you know. We as Christians stand at, at the precipice looking over saying, am I going to jump off this cliff or am I going to hold my ground? In which case someone's going to come and, and hate on me for it. It doesn't matter how loving you are, how kind you are, you will be hated just for saying that you think it's sin. You'll be hated. But we have to hold our ground. Because modern times, we have utter folly going on in our culture. Same-sex marriage, um, it ignores God's design. It just completely ignores it. Same-sex marriage is, is not marriage. It's not what marriage is. It's not what marriage was. And the Supreme Court knew this. That's why the one who wrote the majority opinion, he wrote and said, throughout history, marriage has always been between a man and a woman. And uh, that's the way it's been. And now we're going to change that. He knew they were changing the definition of marriage. It wasn't like they're extending some general principle to this oppressed people group. They're just completely altering the definition of marriage. So what does it mean? I mean, why can't I, why can't I also now marry um, my cousin? My sister, my brother. Well, why couldn't I? Based on those new definitions of marriage, it just takes two human beings. And why does it even have to be human? 
There's no rational explanation to this. Um, it's just a denial of God's design in male and female. Now, let me say a couple things before I go on, because already I know there's like so many slogans that run through people's minds just hearing this stuff. Um, there's a difference between identity and behavior. And what the, um, what the, the pro-gay agenda did for several years was they, they tried to infiltrate the culture with this idea that people are born that way. And that born that way means not born with desires towards the same sex, that, whether that's true or false. That, that, that's not what they meant. What they meant was, I'm supposed to be this way. Like you're denying the who I am of me. I'm designed, I'm supposed to be same-sex attracted. This is, the, this is the nature of who I am. I'm not broken, I'm not damaged, I'm not functioning incorrectly. This is exactly how I'm supposed to be. The Bible never speaks to how you feel about your sexuality. It speaks to your physical design, which is clear. And it says that we should be living according to that. And the Bible condemns not identity, but behavior. When I say homosexuality is a sin, I don't mean if I feel a proclivity towards the same sex that I'm therefore in sin constantly. No. It condemns behavior. Maybe you, you feel a lust for power and you deny this and you walk humbly. You're honoring God. You desire to steal, but you don't. You work hard and you give. You're honoring God. And maybe you desire for same-sex relations, but you don't. And you walk in purity and you honor God and you're doing great. The goal doesn't have to be to rid yourself of these desires, although that's our goal, right? How many of us have done the robot prayer? Lord, just make me your robot. Just, I'll just do whatever you want. Just make me your robot. Okay, we, this is normal. Like We all struggle with, with, with sinful desires. This is every human being all day long. But what honors God is dying to self, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And that's the call towards anyone who's tempted with homosexuality. They're not told they have to change their identity. They're asked to give their lives to Christ and follow him. Um, other people, they think that love means approval. Um, this is one of the slogans, uh, love wins, or um, if two people love each other, who are you to say what they can and can't do in their bedroom? And I would say, if God made us, who are we to tell him he's wrong? <laughs> that would be a good response. Um, the idea is that you can't love somebody without supporting their sin, though. That's what it starts to come down to, right? Like, if you don't support me in my sin, you must not love me. You, you must hate me, so I hate you for hating me. I hate you so much because you're so hateful. And you're just like, no. Like this is not what's actually happening in the real world right now. Anybody who's been a parent knows that you could tell your kids, stop that, that's wrong, and still love them. Or else all of parenting is hatred. <laughs> you know? Of course you can do this. This is, this is nuts. Um, the idea of born that way has, has made its way through our culture and... Um, there's actually a large number of people that think that it's been scientifically proven that people are, quote, born that way. Um, the exact opposite is true. It's, that's not true. And one of the most convincing things is actually twin studies, where they study twins, where one, one member of the twin is, is, is uh, same-sex attracted and the other one's not. Well, if they're identical twins and the DNA is the same, then born that way would mean they're both going to be same-sex attracted. It's not. That's not. It's not a DNA thing. It's a sin nature thing. It's a Romans 1 thing. It's not genetics. It's spiritual. So what can they do? Um, well, they demonize people who speak the truth. Even right now, um, you know, I'm going to be getting some flack. I get called names regularly, right? The people on the internet who call me names most often 
are um, atheists and um, Jehovah's Witnesses and and pro-abortion advocates, and you guessed it, homosexual rights activists or pro-gay individuals. These are the ones that call me the names the most. What they very rarely do is bring an intelligent argument against anything I'm actually saying. And this is going to be the case for you too. Because all the evidence is supporting what we're trying to say here is that man is designed by God and it's just folly that you would leave this design and burn in your lust for something that you're not designed for. It just doesn't make any sense. So we'll demonize people. Legally, we'll persecute them. Socially, we'll ostracize them. And, um, and for that, I really encourage, if, if you want more on this stuff, I encourage you to look at my four-part series on YouTube. Uh, just search Mike Winger and the, the phrase homosexuality and you should see a playlist Four-part series, Homosexuality Speaking the Truth in Love. The first video deals with the Old Testament and the concept of homosexuality. The second video deals with the New Testament and the concept. The third video deals with the concept of born that way, looking at scientific studies, things like that, as well as the theological implications of, of the idea of being born that way. What, what do you do? And, and what do I do if I'm struggling with same-sex attraction? How do I handle this sort of thing? And then the fourth study deals with the pro-gay slogans. That's actually probably the most useful of the four because... It just deals with slogan after slogan and the Supreme Court legal side of issues I deal with at the very end of the last one. So I, I recommend that for more information. I can't cram it all in today, um, but it's a really important topic for us in our culture. And if you can settle your heart on one issue, I'm going to be hated for this. I will not be hating, but I'll be hated. And you can just realize that's going to happen. Then you've got like 90% of the battle won already. If you're willing to say, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen. But if we really love people, then we don't want them to continue in behavior that's harmful to them physically, emotionally, spiritually. We love them enough to want to, want to see them come out of that stuff and to want to be a voice of truth for them. Now, uh, I want to quickly mention, even though this passage, I mean, verse 26 and 27, I don't see how, you could, how it could be more clear. It doesn't use a word that you have to wonder, does this word really mean homosexual? It just says men. They gave the natural use of the woman up. Instead, they burned in their lust men with men committing what is shameful. But yet there are a host of alternate interpretations. People who think, oh no, you're just, if you knew what I knew, then you'd know that passage doesn't mean that at all. So I want to point out a couple of these. Some people, what they do is, the, some pro-gay advocates, they'll say, that really Romans 1 is completely unclear. It's completely unclear. We don't know what it means. Um, they'll do this with all the passages in the scripture. There's about six passages in the scripture, main passages that deal with homosexuality. There's other ones that actually factor in very importantly. But they'll say that we don't know what any of these mean. They're all very vague. Yeah. Um, no. In fact, all six passages, if you study them carefully, they're very clear and they all unanimously condemn homosexual behavior. Some will say, oh, Mike, you just don't, you're just not aware of the history. Really, Romans 1 isn't about mankind. It's about Emperor Nero. You see, Emperor Nero was into all kinds of inappropriate sexual behaviors. He even married a man. Twice. The guy was nuts. And he did a lot of weird things and was very abusive to people and took people against their will and did things with them that were very wrong. So really, it's against Nero. I'll be like, well, then why does it say mankind? Why does it say that man has done this? That the creation declares yet man has left. In... And if it's so bad for Nero to do it, does that mean it's okay for other people? Nero, 
homosexuality is wrong for you, but for other people it's totally okay. It doesn't make any sense. Um, this is a terrible, terrible twisting of the Bible. It acts like Paul is speaking in code instead of just clearly, plainly telling us how it is. Now, there's a reason why these people who have these alternate interpretations refuse to do debates because they've been asked to do debates by various ministries who, who are very solidly biblical and go, well, let's have a public debate. Bring your best arguments. And they refuse to do it. But instead, they'll just publish websites and then they'll bash and attack anybody who is pro-family um, by saying that they're the ones bashing and attacking. <laughs> That's very interesting stuff. So some will actually say that Romans 1 is pro-gay, not pro-family here. It's pro-gay. That nature means you're born that way identity. And that it's only talking about when heterosexual males, they cast off the natural desires they have for women and then they go after men. That's wrong, guys. You should live out the nature you're born with, whether that's homosexual or heterosexual. That's really clever. Just like Satan. <laughs> there's, two, there's a couple problems with this. It's completely twisted in what... Read the passage. Like, just read the passage. That's not what it means. Like, you don't have to have a big brain to figure this out. It's so clear. God could not have been more clear. They say the word nature there just means culture. So I looked up all the uses of the word nature. It means nature. It means like the way that you're, you're physically designed. Specifically in Romans, Paul uses it to mean nature in the phys as in physical design, according to your design or your, your physical makeup. So that's just bad. But, in, but what happens is the, the pro-gay groups, they act wise and educated in these areas. Like, oh, you don't understand. Like, that word nature, phuthis, you know, it means it's the Greek. and it being, No, you're just, you're just trying to take advantage of the, of the fact that your audience doesn't know these things. But when you actually study it, you find out that it's, it's uh, what, they, what they used to call snake oil. Um, so this, is, this stuff's not helping. Now, I want to plead, if I can. Uh, this isn't so much for you guys, forgive me. But this is for anybody who might be watching the video that is, um, is a pro-gay Christian. I have a plea. I mean, I'm begging you. Please listen to what I'm going to share with you. Just consider what I'm saying. You're not helping. God is unequivocal on this issue. He's going to judge homosexuality. He's absolutely going to judge it. There will be eternal punishment for the sin. And if you go around in the name of Christ telling people they should continue in sin, you're heaping wrath upon them and even more upon yourself. You think you're being loving, but you're, you're, you're not. You're not. You're as loving as the mom who, who, who gives her kids food poisoning because she thinks it'll make them strong or something. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just, this is poison. This is poison. You're harming the people who hear you. You're blinding them to God's wrath and you're stealing away all the motive they should have to repent of sin and turn to Christ. Instead, you're encouraging them to commit those sins. So pro-gay Christians are causing terrible harm to massive numbers of people. We have a whole church that's a gay, at least one, maybe two, that are gay-affirming churches in Bellflower here. And what an abandonment of your post, the pastor of the church, to act like this is okay, to affirm and approve things that God says are sinful. Read, read the letters to the churches and how God feels about leaders of churches who preach that sin is okay. Gay-affirming churches are basically echoing the original lie from Satan when he told Eve, it's okay, you shall not die. It's okay, you can eat of it, you shall not die. And it's just sad. 
So then our question is this, um, why is this highlighted? Why is it that he goes from talking about idolatry and, and the, the rejection of God in our minds, and then he specifically highlights homosexual behaviors? And he's going to go on to talk about a, a laundry list of other sins in just a second, right? But he highlights this one. And I think it's because homosexual sin it is to embrace it as good, to, to look at this. This is so against my own design and nature that it reveals how God's wrath is happening on mankind. That I'm so blind that I think that this is something natural or okay. It shows that it's so against nature that it's revealing man's depravity and God's wrath. Now, there's other things to deal with, I know. And someone would say, Mike, you know, we shouldn't highlight the sin of homosexuality. It's not like it's the only sin. All sin is the same. To which I say, read your Bible. <laughs> all sin is not the same. All sin is dreadfully sinful. But all sin is not equal. You know, a child steals a Snickers bar from a liquor store. A man rapes a woman. You think these are the same? What, what part of your conscience tells you that these are the same. So they're not the same. Homosexuality is not the worst sin. I think preaching a false gospel would probably be the worst possible sin. But it certainly is um, something that's highlighted on purpose by God. God does this as an example of God's man's de-evolution into sin because it shows such blindness. And it's so appropriate for the culture we're in today. This is where we're at. But let's remember, we're lights in the world. So let's go shine the truth. Let's call people to repentance and faith, just like the apostles did. Now, verse 28, let, let's see if we can read through a little further. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So, sort of the consequence of sin is sin, is to be given over to the sin. And then we're going to get a list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, there are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now, we do not have time to, to go through every one of these words and sort of unpack it, but can I just say, most of it's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. God is trying to say that sin is bad and man has done sin and that's bad and God's wrath is revealed. How do you know? Look at culture. And look at how good people really are. I'm going to highlight a few of these things, though. Let me just highlight a few. Covetousness is talked about here. Coveting is an internal sin. And that's talked about. Man is full of covetousness. I want. I want, I want, I want. Me, 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 me. My desires, my desires. That sort of covetousness. Malice. Maliciousness or desiring that others would experience harm. Rejoicing in their pain. Envy, being jealous of others. I don't like that they have that. I wish I had that. Strife, that's unnecessary division. This is, this is looked at as one of the things God's wrath is revealed at, is strife, unnecessary division between humans. And God wants us to get along. And it's actually looked at as a problem. Deceit. People are full of deceit. Oh, well, gosh, God, I thought you were talking about real sins. Not just deceit. Everybody lies. Everybody God? Oh, well, okay, maybe not God, but you know, people lie. Okay, does that make us good or bad that we all lie? Think about it and tell the truth. <laughs> it goes on. It says they're boasters. It talks about them being proud. and pr Pride and boasting, these are not virtues. These are not things to celebrate. 
a self-glorifying, I'm the man, I'm the bomb, I'm amazing that we see all the time in sports and we see all the time in our various, you know, different venues. That, that's, that's an act of ungodliness. Well, Mike, come on. That, I don't think so. I think you're wrong. Well, that's our debased mind acting up there. We're given over to these things. In fact, if you go back just 50, 60 years and read quotes from people about pride, even just 50, 60 years ago, they knew it was, it was bad. They talked about pride like it was a negative thing, like it was bad. But nowadays, it, it's as though you, know, you want people to be proud. Disobedient to parents. That's on the list. They're disobedient to parents. And parents are like, yeah! That's, <laughs> but, but they're disobedient to parents. This is, this is something that's seen in mankind in general. They're just, they just rebel against parents. The point, I think, if I can highlight one point from all this, is that goodness is actually gooder than we thought. That to be actually good in the eyes of God requires us to be much better people than the standard we set when we just look around us at other sinners. And so that's why he's highlighting all these sins. Undiscerning is one of, one of the, the problems, right? We're undiscerning. We have a damaged moral compass. We're account, accountable for knowing right from wrong, but when we respond by doing wrong, we, we know even less about right and wrong. And so we tend to get stuck in our rut of sin. And God cares about this because part of his essential nature is that he's holy. I think that... Um, Romans 1 is an indictment against mankind in general. Maybe outwardly people are like, I love God, I love God, I love God. But when I sin, I am, as it says here at the end, haters of God. That's what I am. In actions, I'm hating God. Sin is a hatred against God in its very act because God is holy. This is what we got to remind ourselves of. James 4.4 puts it this way. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's hatred to God. Whoever therefore makes him, uh, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So sin is a, is, a, is a big deal. All sin is a really big deal. I'm convinced that every sin is much worse than we give it credit for, including homosexuality, including lying, including disobedience to parents, and all of it. It's all actually a much bigger deal than we realize and uh, we see this when we see Christ having to go on the cross for this. Then at the last verse of the chapter, it says, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So the summary is that you know there's a God and you know he's a righteous judge, yet you just sin. And then you get, you get darkened and you get blinded, but you knew, you knew, you knew going in. You knew what this was about. So you might say, Mike, I get it. I get it. Okay, stop. Leave me alone. We all sin. We all sin. And But again, as I started, I have to ask, does the fact that we all sin make that better or worse? The Bible's saying it makes it worse, not better. You know, what if everybody here was a murderer? You'd be like, well, at least I'm in good company. It doesn't make it better when more people do it. This is the old, you know, the lemmings speech that your mom gave you. <laughs> you know, if all your friends ran off a bridge, you'd probably run off a bridge too. Probably, but it wouldn't make the end result any better. <laughs> Even if everybody did it. Some people take universal 
condemnation as universal justification. They will literally read through this verse and be like, see, everybody sins. And not realize God's wrath is revealed because everyone sins. So we know in our hearts that his wrath is there. And that's why it tells us, what do we deserve? We deserve death. We deserve death. Because we do these things and we approve of these things. Now, this is not the whole story. Now, if Romans was a one-chapter book, we would be in a lot of trouble. So I kind of hate to end right here. This is sort of a bad place to stop. But chapter 2, if we begin chapter 2 and you remember this, you'll find. Because this may be one of the most controversial passages we just covered tonight. But chapter 2, the next thing, is one of the most misused verses in Romans. Because people say it, take it to mean do not judge, when really it means something very different than that. And something much better than that, actually. Um, although there's a place for do not judge, but but yeah, no. That would be misusing the scripture. So the application here is, sadly, <laughs> you're in trouble, I'm in trouble, we're all in trouble, and we know it. And we know it. And this is where the message of Christ hits good soil. When you go, I know I'm a sinner. Like Jesus told us the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee comes and he's like, Lord, I thank you that I'm such a great man. I'm not like this tax collector here. And then the tax collector, he's like, oh, Lord. And he pounds his chest and falls and won't even lift his face. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went away justified. Why? Because he was willing to admit his depravity. Christians, you've got to be humble people because in coming to Christ, you had to admit that you were lost. That you were, there was nothing good. Nothing good. So Romans is going to be sort of beating this into us. <laughs> but but um, only in a sense how that plow hits the soil and it tills the soil and gets it ready for the fresh seed so that we might receive the grace of Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus. And in our own witnessing to people, just realize that sometimes you have to do the Romans one thing with them to let them know, hey man, you have guilt before God. You have guilt before God. That's why you need the Savior. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this truth. We ask that we have boldness and courage to stand up for the truth of God in this world, um, to not even let the world set the terms, but for us, Lord, to let you set the terms and to stand upon your truth. We pray, Lord, that we would be witnesses to those who have um, issues, Lord, that are struggling with sin, struggling especially with the issue of homosexuality. We pray we could, we could, in the love of Christ, we could show them the way out and not push them further into that sin like so many people are doing nowadays. God, help us have compassion and boldness. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. And we just acknowledge right now, God, that, that um, we're, we're, we're certainly no better. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and it is only by the grace of Christ that we're sustained day by day. And so we just thank you so much Because as we realize how dark sin is, we realize how bright the Savior is. As we realize how bad guilt is, we realize how incredible grace is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Okay, the problem problem with born that way. It's worth talking about if you can talk about it with somebody about whether you're really born that way or not. But if you can't talk about, like you're like, I'm not going to get down to this issue of born that way. You could just give it to them. You're born whatever way, but you got to be born again, the Bible says. And I mean, that's the bottom line, is you have to be born again. But to, the phrase born that way is evidence of the blindness of men's hearts. Like, you know what way you were born? You're a man. 
You were born that way. Like this is actually true. You're a woman. You were born that way. That's actually true. To now go against that nature and then say you're born that way is the height of folly. And they've done lots of tests where they tried to find a gay gene and they tried to find this stuff. And, it's, and as soon as there was any glimmer of hope, it immediately hit like Time Magazine and all over the news. But upon reflection, it was like, no, that was bunk. It's all bunk. And actually, your friend's a little behind the times. Because nowadays, they don't want to say born that way. Because if you ask the same guy, so you're born that way, he goes, yes, I can't help it. Then say, do you think gender is a fluid thing? Do you, think, do you believe in sexual fluidity? That's the new term, fluidity. Yeah. I'm born that way, yet I think people could change anytime. But I can't change, but people can change. You're just like, you have conflicting things in your own mind. Can they change or not? So if someone says like, I think I'm going to be gay, does that offend you? Because you're born that way, but they're just thinking they're going to try it. Doesn't that bother you? Well, no, they could do that. Well, what do you really believe? I believe that whatever affirms me, it must be good. That's what, that's, it's just a narcissist kind of thing. And that's what it preaches ultimately is like a narcissism. Like it's a... Like, the world revolves around me. The universe is about me, or else it's wrong. Um, so, but can you actually talk to them about that issue of born that way? If you can't, then just get, skip to be born again. Then just be born again. But how are you born? You're, you know, at night, when you take your clothes off, you'll see how you're born. It's just very obvious. Um, yeah, it's just, it's the height of folly. And they've tried so hard. Uh, people tried really, really hard with well-funded studies to try to prove that people are, quote, quote, born that way. And it's proved the opposite. Um, so now they want to go different because now the transgendered group is being joined to the homosexual agenda. They're being joined together. Now, these are actually opposing agendas. Because previously, the gay agenda was all about, I'm born this way, this is who I am. Which means gender really, really matters. I have to be with a man. I'm a man who has to be with a man. It really matters. That's, that's how I'm wired. I'm supposed to be. Then you get a man who comes up, or a woman who comes up and says, well, I'm, I'm really a man trapped in a woman's body. And now here I am, if I'm this a gay person, I go, well, I want to affirm you because you're really part of the same slippery slope of moral degradation. But if I affirm you, does that mean I have to be attracted to you because you say you're really a man? But I'm all about the fact that I'm not... So it's confusing. So some, even some in the gay community don't want the transgender stuff, but they're being joined together inevitably because they're all part of the same kind of thing that's going on. So it's all just such a confusing mess. So that's why you have some people saying born that way and other people saying gender fluid, and then they're all affirming each other as though, they, as though these things could all be right. They, they can't be. Um, then you have other people who are like, well, I'm not attracted to the, the gender. I'm just attracted to the person, to the soul. Attracted to the soul. You know, it's like, it's yeah, I'm pansexual. And so, oh, yeah. There's a big list. There's a big list. And they're all just, it's all folly. It's all folly. Look, you're designed. You're, I don't know what else to say. So, if I could offer clarity on the whole born that way thing. If by born that way, you mean I've always had sinful desires, we go, yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> we were born that way. If by born that way, you mean from the time of my birth, I was purposely and rightly wired for same-sex attraction. That's not scientifically true, right? And that's, that's what born that way really means. Supposed to be this way. It's right, right? Like if, if someone says, I'm really feeling down and depressed. And you go, yeah, I'm sorry you're depressed. Have you tried this? And they go, whoa, 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 hey, I'm born that way. 
I was born down and depressed, and that's how I'm supposed to be. So don't try and change that. Like, we, would, we should look at it as a dysfunction, not a proper function, even if it was true. Uh, but in the end, it's, it's almost like a, an exercise in futility to argue about it because you've got to be born again. We're not, telling, we're not telling people you have to change your desires. We're saying die to yourself and follow Christ. You can be a successful Christian who follows Jesus who still has same-sex attraction. And if, if you can't be successful as a Christian like that, then none of us are successful because we all have desires that are not godly. And we fight them every day. And that's part of following Jesus. So there's nothing unsuccessful in the life of a believer who still struggles with same-sex attraction. For them, I think the life verse for a person who's, who's a believer who has same-sex attraction is 1 Corinthians 10.13. I mean, think about that verse. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. For God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Instead, it's like, Lord, either take away the desire or I'll go full bore into it and just say that you approve. That's what our culture has done. And it's insane. And we can rescue people from it, even if it's just one. Um, anyways, you guys, thank you so much. Um, next week will not be as controversial. But in my opinion, I think that we should talk about these issues more, not less. And level-headed Christ-honoring, biblically-minded, and loving individuals should speak up more, not less. Because people want to know, and they're thinking about this stuff a lot. And uh, I couldn't believe when, when I did this series on homosexuality, this place was packed. I did not expect such a good response. But it, you know what it is? Is a lot of pastors, and people came from other churches too, a lot of pastors are too scared to talk about it. And people are like, I want to know. I've got family, I've got friends, and I want to know how do I can honor Christ on this issue. And um, yeah, so... So anyways, thank you so much, and God bless you. While I was dead, you sought me out and gave your life to me. There is no greater love than this to do what you did for me.